The Business Hour on OFM. Now we're now joined by researcher and Stellenbosch University PhD candidate Monique Bennett to discuss the 28th edition of the Conference of Parties, known as COP28. Now Bennett's unpacking some of the notable developments that have taken place at the world's foremost and controversial climate summit. And interestingly, there has been a methane agreement that's been reached at the summit. It's a pledge to dramatically reduce methane leaks to net zero by 2030. How does that impact the farming communities? Well, she's going to tell us a bit more in this conversation. A lot of people are hearing a lot of COP28 news. And if you are a news junkie, you'll be fully aware. What is COP28 and what is the focus of it? This year, the COP28 is hosted in Dubai which was already quite a controversial move by the UN to host kind of the most important climate conference that we have every year, where countries and delegates from all different sectors, uh, different organizations come together to try to find ways to combat global warming and climate change, and then find ways for adaptation, for mitigation, particularly for countries and regions which suffer the most severe consequences, which we're already seeing, uh, particularly on the continent. So it's a really important conference to bring together key leaders, key people within different industries that impact climate change, and then also grassroots movements to have their voice to say, well, this is how we're being impacted and this is how we need to be taken into consideration. So very crucial. Well, weighing in on the controversial aspect of it, I saw an article that says climate summit in an oil state. Does this mean Mm -hmm. COP24 can change anything? Yes, exactly. And I think this is a really important point because we have President Sultan Al-Jabir, the president of the UAE, as the president of the summit this year. And there were rumors that there would be oil deals happening on the sidelines of the conference. I think it's important (laughs) to also reiterate that, I mean, we have to have the emitters and these big players at the table as well. We cannot exclude them. They have the money and the influence to change these sectors, these industries for the better. So we can't exclude the big oil giants. It's also important to remember that the UAE has has actually played a role in developing decarbonization technology. And they've also, Mazda, which is a UAE company, it's, it's one of the second largest companies in terms of developing clean energy, which is really interesting. So I don't think it's a lost hope that we have, you know, a conference like this in the UAE. I actually think it's really important for these leaders and these businesses to be part of the conversation and to be negotiating, not to say that they need to be the center focus and be making all the decisions, but they need to be there. And also, crucially, ADNOC, which is the oil giant of the UAE, so it's the state-run oil company, it's brought forward its net zero targets. So it's brought forward it so their operations will be net zero by 2045. So I think that's quite ambitious. So I think there is optimism around that idea that we can reach a peak and then decline if we adopt certain technologies. And if these oil companies are going to make huge commitments to helping develop and and put money into research to develop these technologies, I think that's great. Reuters revealed that SA says it will miss its binding 2030 carbon emissions targets under the Paris Agreement. It was a Mm -hmm. bit of an investigative piece that they had. And we sat down with an analyst uh, shortly 
thereafter. And we got into how difficult it is for developing nations to kind of meet some of these carbon emission targets. They're quite lofty considering that they require a lot of investment. Is that something that's going to be tackled? I think that's such an important point. And I think climate finance in particular has been quite problematic over the last couple of years because we've had these commitments of $100 billion, which, um, and now we've had, I think, a further commitment in this past COP to increase it. Well, over time, it's been $12 billion, but I'm not sure the exact number that it's been increased. I think it's an additional $80 billion Mm -hmm. that they're adding into it. But the issue is that $100 billion commitment since the last, since 2020, hasn't properly been utilized. So there's been problems in accessing this climate finance and having projects be implemented in a way that's really going to benefit communities who are transitioning. And I think South Africa is obviously wanting to be kind of at the forefront of this idea of a just transition, which is critical for our socioeconomic issues and um, the current climate of the economy. But utilizing that climate finance has been a particular problem. So this COP28 has been trying to find innovative ways to develop climate financing mechanisms, which would be more accountable and kind of really feed into the community directly. So there is something happening there, but I think a lot more needs to be done around climate finance and how it's used in various contexts. And obviously a lot of attention will go to critics of summits such as these, those who accuse attendees, etc., of greenwashing. Mm. Your Mm. view as someone who looks at the stats, has there been any notable improvement since COP27, for example? It's difficult to say. I think, you know, these these conferences happen. One year is really such a short period of time between conferences. So to me, I'm a little bit skeptical. I think there is still a lot that needs to be done to to prevent greenwashing. I think the EU is trying to implement some uh, mechanisms to prevent that. But in terms of our context on the continent, they potentially is, you know, more room for people to do greenwashing investments and uh, and stuff like that. I'm not particularly an expert on it, but I think I'm not sure if there's been improvements in terms of this COP and we'd have to see post-COP analysis on on these kinds of investments and the greenwashing concept. So, yeah, it's it's really problematic, but really important to look out for, definitely. The Business Hour with Oliver Feng on OFM. In closing, anything that stood out to you so far from all of the addresses and the coverage? Yes, I think what was really interesting for me was the huge commitment around nuclear energy, which came up as quite a a significant talking point. So we had a very large commitment among the US, uh, Britain, and I think 21 other countries, including Mozambique. I think Ghana was also included, where there was basically a commitment to triple the capacity of nuclear energy by 2050. Uh, And there was an agreement signed. So we'll see how that looks, how that agreement looks, and whether it would be possible. Obviously, we have critics around the safety of nuclear energy, but in terms of its its ability to mm-hmm. reduce greenhouse gas emissions uh, would be really significant. And I think it could be quite empowering for countries on this continent to develop nuclear energy and become more sustainable in that sense, because nuclear energy technology is really one that can almost mimic the infrastructure that we have existing around coal-powered power stations, whereas which is quite a centralized system. But if we look at renewable energy like solar or hydro, it's quite a decentralized system. Mm-hmm. So 
if we can use existing infrastructure and then implement kind of nuclear energy into that, that might be, you know, a, a way to transition much faster. So I think that was quite a, an interesting highlight for me. Monique, by decentralized, just some clarity, do you mean oftentimes when we talk about solar in South Africa, there's a lot of questions around how solar farms are able to provide the electricity, but there's no way to place it back into the grid. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. We So the infrastructure that we use for coal-powered stations versus what we'd use for renewables is is different. And the renewables is at a much more localized level. So, I mean, I'm not an engineer, but this is how I understand it. So there's probably more technical details. But from what, what I understand, it is difficult to feed that renewable energy back into the grid uh, at a large level and then transport that electricity. And also it's it can be very variable. So we know solar, obviously, if you've got rain or you've got nighttime, there's no power feeding in. So how to make that uh, feeding of power consistent within the grid uh, is really important. Anything you'd like to add, perhaps? Yeah, I think there's one more thing, actually, I wanted to add, which was quite important, um, was this movement towards looking at methane and other uh, non-CO2 gases mm. and how they impact global warming. So this was actually one of the first key talking points at COP28 this year. So we know methane causes about a quarter of the atmospheric warming that we see, according to scientists. And it is a really good opportunity to slow the rate of global warming if we can deal with methane. And it's one of the main components of natural gas. So things like flaring and gas leakages can really contribute quite a lot to methane emitting into the atmosphere. Obviously, we know uh, livestock as well. But if we can deal with some of the, the issues around natural gas, um, and its emission of methane, that would be quite critical. So there was a commitment now to reduce methane by 10 million tons over the next five to seven years. And there was a, a billion dollar support package mobilized for the reduction of methane across various sectors. So methane is quite an important gas. And speaking on that, there was a, a large turnout of lobbyists from the meat and dairy industry at this COP. It was kind of, I think it was the largest, or well, it was the largest gathering of lobbyists from that industry mm. outside COP28. So Clearly, it's it's quite an important talking point because we we obviously will affect farmers in in a large way if these if targets around methane are, are made more ambitious, particularly in developing countries. So we've got to watch out for that kind of methane gases as well and, and non CO two. So that that I'd say is kind of the, the the main points I picked up. Super exciting! Thank you so much. It's really great to talk about it because. Um, Climate change and, and environmental governance is a passion for me. Mm -hmm. And although my PhD focuses around conflict, I think, you know, they go hand in hand. As the weather changes, we, we really affect every part of society. Uh, so it's really, really important to talk about it. Oh, fascinating. So has your sort of area of focus been primarily in conflict-ridden areas or...? Uh, yeah, so initially my research has been, before I started the PhD, my research has been around environmental governance and climate change and its impact on human security. But then I got interested in uh, conflict within the Sahel region, which is obviously also worsened by climatic changes and mm -hmm. also in East Africa as well. And now my PhD will look at conflict in Mozambique. So it's wow. it's an inch I'm trying to kind of link these very important factors, although they, they don't often cause they aren't direct causes of each other. So mm -hmm. we can't really say 
climate change is a direct cause of conflict, but it plays a role in exacerbating existing Tensions, factors yeah. and tension. Exactly. So, so I'm really interested in that dynamic. So I'm trying to get better in understanding the conflict theory and, and how conflict happens and with my knowledge on in the environment to see how we can you know, better link the two and understand the two dynamics. So, yeah, that's my, my interest. Are you going to look at that? There was that natural gas situation in Mozambique. Is that part and parcel of yes. it as well? Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely something that we're we're examining because Total want to. It was the biggest, single biggest, it was going to be the single biggest investment on the continent. It was something like $10 billion, which, oh, right. which would be the single biggest on the natural gas offshore fields there. But because of the conflict in Cabo Delgado, which is the northernmost province, it looks like they, that project is on hold. But, you know, potentially they could shift towards looking at nuclear energy instead of the natural gas and and see, because obviously the EU in particular want to reduce their dependence on Russian gas. So there is this push to move away from gas and potentially move towards nuclear. So that was the geopolitics were kind of playing out a little bit as well at COP28 around the war in Ukraine. So it's really interesting to see that link there as well. The Business Hour on OFM.